Welcome back to After the Buzzer Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. Alright guys, welcome back for another, another episode. Just going to be me today, and in today's episode, we'll be discussing Game 5 of the NBA Finals. Then I'm going to give you my complete uh, off-season breakdown for the Boston Celtics. I know I promised every all 30 NBA teams, but I realized the draft's in like 9 days, and... Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to all of them. It was kind of a long shot. I think I just started way too late, but... I'll try my best. Maybe I'll, you know, adjust it so I'll just go over the free agency or something. I'll figure out some way maybe to do all 30 NBA teams. But we're going to get to the Celtics today. That This one's going to be a lot longer than the Hawks. And then we're going to get to the last night's Red Sox game. Very frustrating game. And, you know, sometimes I go, you know, just go over their whole series. But I feel today I want to go over the specific game because it just really got on my nerves. So first, we're going to start with Game 5 of the NBA Finals. So let's get to that. All right, so I said it yesterday. I predicted that the Warriors would win. I didn't. I said on the show, I said, I, I'm going to guarantee it, but I can't exactly guarantee it. And I know it seems like I'm rooting for the Warriors, and I actually kind of am. I kind of lost a little respect for the War- or Raptors. I'm not, you know, I like the Raptors, but, you know, and, and overall, I respect the Warriors a lot more than some other team, other people in the world. Like, if you're not a Warriors fan, I'm not hopping in the Warriors bandwagon by any means. Don't think of doing that. They're not one of my favorite teams, but I do like to watch them play. Like, I won't lie. Kind of in the series, this is like, I don't really care who wins, to be honest. I just want a good series. So I'm not hopping in the Warriors bandwagon here because I'm a Celtics fan. And other than the Celtics, um... My favorite team's probably, like, the Trailblazers or something. Someone like that, you know, the Trailblazers used to be the Heat, but that was that was a while ago. Um, but I don't like them anymore. But anyway, I just, again, I just thought they were going to win. I thought Katie's um, return would impact a lot. I thought he'd play maybe around 20 minutes, but he'd only score around 10 points, and it'd make a huge difference. It would, and I said going into the game makes such a huge difference because one, they could use that guy that could just get him ten points because that that just would help in itself. A guy who could just get him ten points in twenty minutes that would really help out guys like Curry and Clay. And second of all, you'd really space the floor because whether KD came in that game a hundred percent or sixty percent, you knew KD was still going to be a solid. You know, still have some sort of solid game. You're going to have to pay attention for him and game plan for him. Uh, it was the first time that the Raptors had to play him this series, first time they had a game plan for him, and it was going to be different. Now, all of a sudden, the Warriors now have a little bit more space, a little more wiggle room for Clay and Curry to do their thing, maybe a little more scoring opportunities for Boogie and you know Draymond. Overall, I thought it really helped space the floor, and they'd go on fire from three. Now, I didn't expect them to go 20 for 42, shooting 48% from three, and to them absolutely smoke the Raptors from three. They had 36 more points from three than the Raptors, and it was still only a one-point game. Now, should KD have played yesterday? This has been up in the air. Some of you are going to listen and completely agree with what I say. Some of you are going to completely disagree with what I say. It really depends on how you look at it. Look at it, excuse me, and I think he should have played. Now, should have in the sense that he was cleared, and I I don't want him to take the pressure because the pressure from the media was ridiculous. And, you know, I don't think he can worry about that, but it was obviously probably in the back of his head. 
And I've heard, you know, I do see the other side of it that he shouldn't play, but I think he should have. A lot of people say, yes, he definitely should play game five, even if he's not 100%. And then I've heard those same exact people after the injury say, why did he play game five? I say going into game five, he should play. And I'm sticking with that. Even though he got hurt, he should have played. It made sense. Your team was down three to one. And, you know, it's it, it, you came here for rings, okay? That's what you came here for. You came here to win rings and stay committed to this team. And, I, you know, this was a chance for you, you know, to go down 3-1. Your team's down 3-1. And that was a chance for you to be the reason for the comeback in a way. If you came back, you'd be a hero. And people may look at you a little differently and the haters would realize you know, maybe the Warriors really needed Kevin Durant. Um, you know, people would stop criticizing him for fake championships. He'd really get a real one because he was probably the reason they'd end up winning. And in a way, also, the heart thing. People said, does he really want to play for the Warriors? And question that. He gets to go out there now and prove to people, yes, by going out there in that game five, injured, not 100%, risked his body to go out there for that team fight, compete, and honestly, if he does not play in that game, the Warriors don't win for two reasons. One, those 10 points made a huge difference in the 11 minutes. If those 11 minutes go to Alfonso McKinney or someone like that, he's not getting those 10 points and not spreading the floor like Kevin Durant did. And Durant's injury actually motivated the team to fight for Kevin Durant. So that's just kind of what was up there. So that's why Kevin Durant played such a big impact in this game. Then, you look at the rest of the game. Now, overall, you have the Durant injury. I think he should have played. Overall, total disrespect from Toronto. You don't clap when a player gets hurt. And I know you guys are desperate for a championship, and we're happy to see a player go down with an injury like Kevin Durant because now all of a sudden your odds to win this game and win the title just shot up. I get that. But that does not mean you clap. And overall, if you feel a little bit of a sense of joy, in a way, like you don't want to see him hurt, but you're glad he's leaving the game in a way, in your head, keep that to yourself. Because I know how he feels in a way where you... Honestly, if that happened to me and I was a desperate Raptors fan, desperate for a title, I wouldn't I wouldn't clap. I would maybe feel a little bit of joy to see that he's hurt in the sense that he's leaving the game. Uh, and I'd keep it to myself. But overall, I'd feel horrible for him because that is just a horrible injury. When he went down with it, it didn't seem too, too serious. I thought, you know, maybe they'll decide, you know what, you're not going to play for the rest of the game or something. But I didn't think it'd be that serious to the point where KD might not play next year. This could shake up everything. All of a sudden now, free agency, you know, some teams might back away from Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant might decide now all of a sudden, I can't get a max deal on the market. So you know what I'm going to do? Pick up my player option in Golden State. Rehab with this team, the team that I've been with for a few years, so I don't have to relocate. Take $31.5 million because no other team was willing to pay me for it. Rehab with this team and earn my max contract. And it's going to be tough. I still think Kevin Durant is probably worth a max deal. The someone, at least, he's going to get a max deal. But overall, these past few days, you know, the odds of Kevin Durant staying are actually getting, um, getting better. Uh, Durant is 30 years old now, so he's starting to, you know, his prime, you know, he's still got a few years left. I'm not saying he's exiting his prime, but you got to start thinking, reconsidering the max. And I think, again, his value is still going to be high. I think someone's going to give him a max contract, but now all of a sudden, 
you know, things just really, you just shook up things a lot last night. And he, I could definitely see him saying, if he doesn't get a max deal on the market, that's what he's going to do. He's going to say, I'm going to rehab with the team that I've been with, so I don't have to relocate. I'm going to pick up that player option so I can get $31.5 million, more money than I can get anywhere else. And I can just prove them wrong from a max contract. But it's tough. Those injuries are so hard to come uh, overcome. The MRI is going to tell us all about the injury Maybe, you know, the timetable for it, but it sucks to see him go down like that. Um, overall, I do think the pressure from the media, again, very risky. I didn't realize the risk factor. I didn't think there was a great chance he'd get re-injured. I just thought, play him low minutes, like 20 at max, 22 at max. He only played 11 minutes and he went down with that injury. So that's that's hard, tough break for the Warriors. But um, their, their GM, uh, what what's his name? Let me look it up for a second. But the Warriors GM... Bob Myers starts bawling his eyes out about what about the injury to Kevin Durant. Now it's not like Kevin Durant just died or Kevin Durant just, you know, was diagnosed with some horrible disease or, you know, anything like that. It was a sports injury. And I know it, it was a bad, bad injury. And it was a horrible injury. And a part of it was probably Bob Myers crying because he realizes our odds to just win the title are fairly worse. And as the GM of this team, we had so high expectations, we might not hit that very high expectation of you should no doubt win the title. So I understand that a little bit. He's crying like... <laughs> Oh, Kevin Durant. Like, calm down. He did, he wasn't diagnosed with some disease. Kevin Durant didn't just die on you. Kevin Durant is still here. He suffered an injury. He's had a bad one. Yes, but please, calm down. Calm down. Calm, no. Stop with... <laughs> like, that crying is honestly... It's absurd. It. What just happened? I'm sorry. I mean, um, I mean, what... You know, maybe I'm just saying nonsense right now as I spit out of my mouth but I mean <laughs> it just it's hilarious to see this guy cry about this injury like you know he just lost his brother or something and it's just one of his players went down with an injury and I understand it could you know cost you the title and your team had that expectation of a championship so but overall are you gonna cry about an injury like again He's not dead. He didn't get some deadly disease. You're all right. He suffered an injury. Is it a bad one? Yes. But stop crying about it. Crying? Are we crying about sports injuries now? It's just what this world has come to. So I don't know. Uh, that's what I have to say on that injury. And now we'll focus a little on the game. But the Splash Brothers really stepped up. Especially Steph. Uh, Clay had a good game as well. But they stepped up when they needed most late in that game. Um, overall, though, they were firing from three. As I said, but what what happened with Nick Nurse? Did Nick Nurse cost the Raptors game five, possibly a championship? Because I think if the Warriors come back and win in seven games, we'll remember that timeout call. One of the worst decisions. Nick Nurse is a he's a rookie coach. He's been great. Like his defensive schemes have been amazing. You know, he's done a great job. He's done a great job. He's had a few bumps in the road, but this might be the biggest bump. What were you doing? What what were you doing? Kawhi was on fire. Looked unstoppable out there. Kawhi looked absolutely unstoppable. Your team was on fire. You just took the lead. You know, Kawhi's hitting threes. You know, just uh, like 
he could not be stopped. Go watch that. Like, it was just crazy. You had all the momentum in the world. Just took your first lead at, like, the five-minute mark. And with, what, 312 remaining, he calls a timeout. When he called that timeout, watch Kawhi's face. Like, what'd you just do? That's the moment where, you know, you have... It's like the moment sometimes in the movies where the superhero has the plan all right. And he's like, yes, I did it in a way. In a way. And he's just got that kind of grin on his face like, let's go. And all of a sudden the super you know, villain kind of pops up from behind him. Doubt Kawhi was superhero. Had figured things out. Yes, everyone's celebrating. And all of a sudden Nick Nurse called the timeout. And that was the super villain. What are you doing? What are you doing? What in your, why would you do that? But to, to, you know, all right, all right, I didn't, I, there's literally no explanation for that at all for a timeout there. And you had all the momentum, but also Curry and Clay were gassed. Curry and Clay were absolutely gassed. And overall, I mean, Clay comes back, hits the three right, right away. Curry, Clay, they were going off after that. Curry and Clay needed a quick breather, and then after that, they took the game right from you. That, that was, that gave them that second chance that they needed. I just, I'm, I was at a loss for words that a guy like Nick Nurse would do that. I know he's a rookie, but he's been great. For him to make the type of call just shocks me. And if the Raptors lose this series, I'm going to point back to that timeout call because if that timeout's not called, I think the Raptors are holding the NBA championship trophy right now because they were they looked unstoppable and that would be great for them to win in Toronto too. Now all of a sudden you're forcing game six. Even if you win in game six, wouldn't it have just been nicer to just win it last night in Toronto? Wouldn't that be awesome? City so, yeah, I gotta go win in Oracle. And I know, you know, big difference still a championship and you get to ruin the last night at Oracle, but that was a horrible Horrible call by Nick Nurse because then Curry and Clay went off. They were exhausted, went to the bench, drank a little Gatorade, and they were good. After that, they were all fueled up, ready to go, and they were they were the Splash Brothers again. And that then all of a sudden they just shifted the momentum from there. Horrible, horrible call by Nick Nurse. Uh, and then one other prediction I made is that Marcus all uh, step up after his uh, poor Game 4 performance, and he did. I wouldn't say he was their second-best player, but he's pretty close to it. Him or uh, Kyle Lowry. Marcus all had 17 points, 8 rebounds, 2 assists. Remember the one assist he had to Van Fleet? I don't know why I remember that. I just do. Kawhi had a very good game, but the Warriors overall did a good job last night. I, I thought they did. I thought they did. They utilized Kevin Durant pretty well, I thought, in limited minutes, but I, I you know... I thought maybe at that point he plays like nine minutes in the first half, maybe, you know, plays the first five or six minutes and then comes out, plays like three or four minutes in the second quarter, and then he plays 10 overall in the, the second half or maybe 11 or 12. But I don't know. I thought they overplayed him a little bit in that first half. But they, they did good because they held Kawhi to under 30 points, and that's hard to do. Overall, defensively, though, like, Siakam had 12 points, which is average for him. A little under average, but Gasol had 17. Lowry had 18. Fred Van Fleet had 11. Ibaka had 15. Ibaka's been great this series. I said he'd step up and win. In my predictions, I said he'd kind of get better as the series went on, start to get more minutes, and that's what's happened. Only 17 minutes, and he's putting up 15 points, six rebounds, but a menace defensively. Sorry about that. And... I don't know how, you know, I, I really predicted that. I just, that was kind of just the expectation I had. The bigs would get better. I don't know why. 
But overall, you played a good game last night if you're the Warriors. And the one last thing I want to get to is that last play. Okay, what, what happened there exactly? So Kawhi gets double teamed. They ask him, why didn't he take that shot? Kawhi should not have taken that shot. He's double teamed, okay? he's He was double teamed. You had the option of Danny Green in the corner. Now, I do think they probably should have maybe passed it to Danny Green. Now, at that point, if you're asking me Danny Green or Fred Van Fleet, I take Van Fleet in that situation because Van Fleet is a guy who has hit big shots before. Not saying Danny Green hasn't, but Van Fleet is a little more clutch. Van Fleet had been better that game and for the past few games. Danny Green has been wildly inconsistent. So I trust Van Fleet to make the better decision there. Um, he was a better decision maker, uh, in a way, because, and I don't want to say better decision maker, but Danny Green's really only someone who can shoot. And that game, Danny Green couldn't shoot. Van Fleet had an average game in that game. So Van Fleet already had the better game than Danny Green. Van Fleet is a guy who can drive to the hoop, pass the ball, and shoot. Danny Green's really only a guy who can shoot the ball. So you had more options with Van Fleet. He was the better player. So it made sense to pass it to Van Fleet. But he didn't make a great decision there. He had the lane to the hoop. He did. Gasol was kind of boxing out Draymond when I watched that in slow-mo. And Curry was the one at the block. Curry. Curry's not going to do anything. So Van Fleet probably could have taken that to the hole. Kawhi shouldn't have shot it, but Van Fleet probably could have made a better decision and said kicks it out to Kyle Lowry. Lowry had time to do a little pump fake, maybe you know, dribble to the left or right and pop the shot, but instead Draymond, great defense by Draymond. He was, you know, he's trying to take Marcus all out of the play or step up if Van Fleet dro- drove to the hoop, and instead he got there and got a fingertip on it on Kyle Lowry. I'm not sure it would have really gone in. We don't know, but great play by Draymond. Overall, it was a very good game last night. I hate guaranteeing wins because, again, the Raptors have proved me wrong. The Raptors have played better this series and easily could have won that game. Again, the timeout is going to kill him. It's going to haunt them. But, anyway, call in. Uh, you know, does this change your, your pick for the series? Again, I'm not too keen on the Warriors because now all of a sudden KD's out because they barely won that game with the 10 points in 11 minutes from KD, especially him spacing the floor and giving them that uh, chip to fight. And I think they're going to have that chip on their shoulder going into uh, – Game six, but think about that. Now you're not going to get those 11 points in 10 minutes from KD. And in those 11 minutes that KD gave you to kind of space the floor as well, it's not going to be there anymore. So it's going to be tough. I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. So we'll see. But I'm I'm just sticking it out with the Warriors, but I don't know how good it looks at this point. Just the Raptors, they just look too much to handle for the Warriors in a way. And Steph and Clay can't do it all. So we'll see what happens in that game. So now we are going to get to my complete offseason breakdown for the Boston Celtics. So let's get to that. All right. So as I said, I can't promise an offseason breakdown for all 30 teams at this point because nine days away from the draft, 28 teams. Yeah, that's basically three teams a day. And that's assuming I do a podcast every day in these next nine days, which I can't even guarantee. Can't really guarantee anything, so I don't even know if I could can one offseason breakdown. Like it took me a, almost an hour to do the Celtics. Uh, I just I said I wanted to do a little more in depth. This one is way more in depth. I do like that I'm doing Celtics though because this podcast is based off of Boston sports and all big news outside because I really focus on Boston sports, like game for game. I dig in basically, and then other sports I don't dig in game for game, but we go over the general consensus. You know, I like to dig into the cracks a little and do stuff that, you know, not just general big news. Sometimes I do like some other things, you know, like offseason breakdown for the Atlanta Hawks, but 
I figured it was, uh, you know, appropriate that I do it for the Celtics because most of my audience, I can check, I can look where everyone listens, and most of my audience is from Boston. Now, for any of you who listen outside of Boston, I love that you listen, and I'm not, obviously, I don't disclude you. You know, if you're not a Boston sports fan, I obviously give you different material. Like, I just talked about the, um, the, excuse me, NBA Finals, but I, I'm a Boston sports fan, and I know game for game what's going on, so I talk about it on this podcast, but anyway, enough rambling about that, here's my off-season breakdown, so for the draft, here is what I wrote, so they have the 14th pick, the 20th pick, 22nd pick, 51st pick, so that's a lottery pick, two more first-round picks, and a second-round pick, all right, here's what I wrote, the Celtics have one lottery pick and a total of three first-rounders, along with the late second. The Celtics should really be looking for a point guard and a big man in this draft. It will be very hard for the Celtics to land John Morant, Darius Garland, or a Kobe White without trading up. So I suggest they do the, their scouting and try to pick one of the one point guard at the 20th or 22nd pick because I don't think there will be a, any worthy point guards at 14. But there will be many big men. Guys like Brandon Clark, Bull Bull, Seko Dumboya, P.J. Washington, and even Ryu Hachimura may be available at 14. Now out of those two guys, I think the Celtics should target Brandon Clark and Bull Bull. Brandon Clark is a defensive beast, which Brad Stevens loves, and he also has some game on the low block. He wouldn't be their center, though, because Brad likes a pick-and-pop guy at the 5, and Brandon Clark isn't your guy for that. Plus, he's more of a small ball 5 standing at six foot eight. Then there's Bull Bull. Bull Bull is a big risk because he's very injury-prone, a pretty big unknown with a ton of untapped potential. He's seven foot two with the 7'8 wingspan. He has the potential to become an elite rim protector, which Brad would love, but he's not there yet. He can knock down outside shots, which is really good because Brad loves, likes guys... Likes bigs with the pick and pop. Pick and pop bigs, excuse me. Then there's your next two first rounders. I've heard a few rumors saying the Celtics are interested in trading one, but I'm still not sure how true that rumor is. With one of the with one of these picks, you have to take a point guard. Listen, I'm not too key too keen on any of these guys that will probably be available there. But you have to do your scouting because I'm sure at least one of them will turn out and at least be a solid pro. With Kyrie and Terry Rozier's future in doubt, you've got to roll the dice with one of these guys. Some of your options will probably be like guys like Shamir Ponce, Ty Jerome, and even guys like Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Tyler Hero could be ball handlers at the pro level, but there's no guarantee. Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Tyler Hero are shooting guards, but they have some experience running the point, so they're kind of risk. Because, again, a few things that I want to clear up. Ryu Hachimura wouldn't be a horrible fit, uh, and even Seko Dumboya would be a solid fit as well, but those are the two guys that I want the most, Brandon Clark or Bull Bull. I think all around they'd fit best, and I'm not too keen on Seko Dumboya. And Ryu, I'm not I'm not sure if he goes to 14, even if he does. I'm not sure he's as good of a fit as Clark and Bull Bull. And lately, I've heard Terry Roche, there's actually a solid chance he comes back, but in doubt. You know what I'm trying to say there. So overall in that draft, again, you have to target a point guard and a big man. Even if Terry Rozier comes back, you still want to target a point guard. Do your scouting and roll the dice on one of those guys with the 22nd or 24th pick. A 20th and 22nd pick. You need to pick one there. And a big man is crucial at the 14th pick. If you take a big man at the 14th pick, and then the 22nd pick, you take like Bruno Fernando too. I'm cool with two big men. I'm honestly cool with two big men. Like if you take like Brandon Clark and... You know, Bruno Fernando, that could be a future backcourt because Brandon Clark power forward 
Bruno Fernando at um, center. Again, when I look at your future team, you know, maybe Terry Rozier, probably Marcus Smart, Tatum, Brown, assuming you keep the young core together, you, you're going to need a power forward and center for the future, at least the center, because Horford's starting to age. And if Tatum's playing power forward or to Marcus Morris, that's a small ball four. So I'm cool with two big men, hoping one works out or maybe both work out and you just get your future front court there. Again, I'm hoping at least two of these three first-rounders uh, fall. Uh, I don't expect too much from that second-round pick. I think it's a solidly deep draft class, but not the deepest ever. So if you can hit on two of those three picks, do your scouting in the first round, I'll be happy. I'll be really happy with that. So hopefully that point guard and that big man for the future. We love to pick shooting guards, small forwards, all that. We don't need that. We have Marcus Mart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. We have Gordon Hayward. So we have a ton there. I'm not worried about the wing. I'm worried about point guard and big men. That's what I want. That's what we need. Moving on to free agency. So Al Horford has a player option. Kyrie Irving has a player option. Marcus Morris is a free agent. Terry Rozier is a free agent with the restricted free uh, is a restricted free agent. Brad Wanamaker is also a restricted free agent. Aaron Baines is a player option. PJ Dozier is a restricted free agent. RJ Hunter is a free agent, and Jonathan Gibson is a restricted free agent. So those are all your team free agents. So here's what I wrote: The Celtics have a few big names here. Al Horford seems to be a lock to come back. He'll either play, pick up his player option or decline to it to take a pay cut for the team. Then there's Marcus Morris, who reportedly has drawn interest from many teams around the league. It may be hard to keep, but you never know. Then there's guys like Aaron Baines and Daniel Tice, who are tough reads because you haven't heard a lot of news of, about them. But I think the Celtics get at least one of them back, and I think it will be Baines. Then there's Terry Rozier, who's a restricted free agent but already said he's not interested in turning to Boston unless changes are made. And maybe by changes he means Kyrie leaving, which seems like a good bet right now, so I don't count out a Terry Rozier return. Then there's the biggest free agent of them all, all-star point guard Kyrie Irving. The odds of Ir- Irving returning at this point are slim, and the Celtics could really be trying and should really be getting ready to move on. Although I'd rather build around the young guys and still try to bring and I'd still try to bring Kyrie back. At least get get him to give it one more shot with this player option. That way you can't give things that way you can't can give things one more shot and they don't work well. They don't work don't work. Hold up for a minute. That might be a grammatical error. I think what I was trying to say was at least give you know Kyrie just pick up his player option, give him one more shot, and if things don't work, bye. You can leave. That's what they should try to do. Again, the only reason he should stay in Boston is because, well, the money and money doesn't seem to play a factor for Kyrie. He's gone. He's gone. Okay. But I guess just try. Now, I'm not going over the other guys because there's no real need. But who else should the C's target? Now the Celtics don't have a ton of money to spend, although they should really look up for a point guard this offseason, especially with Kyrie basically out the door and the return of Terry Rozier very uncertain, plus the fact that it's highly unlikely the team will draft a top three point guard in the draft. One big man I think the team should that should be on the team's free agency radar is Dwayne Dedman. Dedman will really help the team's rebounding numbers and is a great in the pick and roll game. Is a very capable three-point shooter. He's probably looking for a starting job, but I'm not sure he's at that starting level anymore. Another guy is Isaiah Thomas. I think Thomas's prime days are over, but it would 
but it would give you something at the point guard position, plus the fans would love it, and he's such a great fit. Isaiah Thomas is still my favorite player. I'd love to see him back. I would, like, cry if he came back. I'd be so happy, even though, again, I think, you know, Isaiah Thomas is a little overrated in the whole Celtics return. Like, he's not going to return to be an all-star. He may return. I think his ceiling would be, like, 14, 15 points per game if he was given that starting role and just – fit like perfectly again I don't know I highly doubt it but that would be a ceiling you know 14 15 points per game maybe 16 like that's a stretch he's not gonna be an all-star but I'd love to see that happening and free agency I think Al Horford's pretty much a lock to stay um few very few people believe he's actually gonna leave again Aaron Baines and Daniel Tice are really up in the air I don't really know if they're gonna stay or not so if they don't Dwayne Dedman would be a great pickup that's a guy who can help you in the rebounding column, which you need help in the rebounding column. Because in that, like, you don't have anyone who can rebound the ball besides a little bit of Al Horford. Marcus Moore super inconsistent. Some games he grabs eight, some games he grabs two. He's just an inconsistent player. You don't have a lot of rebounders on this team. You get Deadman that helps your rebounding numbers, and he's a great fit because Brad Stevens loves the pick-and-pop bigs. He's a very capable uh, three-point shooter, and he loves the pick-and-roll game. That would be a great fit. And IT, just he's been in the system. Be great for the fans. It gives you a point guard. Now, here I have for trades is the third and final part. So, here we go. Here's what I wrote. If Kyrie leaves, I've heard some big names being thrown around for a possible trade for the Celtics. I've heard Mike Conley, CP3, and Clint Capella. There may be some other names, but this is what I've heard. Everyone knows Conley will end up being traded, and not many people expect him in Boston. But there's a definite chance. Boston has a surplus of assets. And we'll have more than enough to trade for Mike Conley. And we'll be able to outbid other teams like Detroit and Utah. Utah. Why did I say it like that? Utah. Excuse me. Then there's CB3. He would be a great fit with the system and a good veteran leader that would keep the Celtics a legitimate threat for the East. I don't really want CP3, though, because he's a massive contract and he has been very injury-prone. And honestly, he's an over-average facilitator, but an average scorer, and he's almost becoming a liability at the defensive end. Again, I really don't want to trade for CP3, even if the compensation, you know, even if it's a, you know, not even a lot that we have to give up. Massive, you know, he's an injury-prone guy, massive contract. His prime days are over. He's not really that good anymore. I don't want him. I like Chris Paul. I like him. I wouldn't say love him, but I like him. But I just really don't want to trade for him. Now, if Kyrie does stay, the team has obviously been linked to some Anthony Davis trade talks. If you ask me, I would much rather build around the young guys than Kyrie and a potential one-year rental in Davis. But luckily, since Kyrie is probably gone, this trade probably won't happen. Now, that one's up in the air. If Kyrie did stay long-term, maybe, you know, I was just lying there for a minute. Maybe I would be intrigued in Anthony Davis because Kawhi Leonard has shown just because they say, you know, they're not really, <coughs> excuse me, inter- interested in Boston. Like, he, I think he has some interest. In the back of his mind, if Kyrie stayed, right now he wants to go to the Lakers or the Knicks, but I think he'd be still satisfied with the team with Kyrie on it. That's what I've heard. It's either for him, he wants to go to the Lakers or the Knicks, but if he ends up in, like, Brooklyn with Kyrie, he'll be happy with that. So I think it'll be the same with Boston. Um. So, again, that wouldn't be horrible. I I just, I love the, I like our young guys. I think they've shown promise. So, just keep building on that. That's what I want to. 
do. One more trade scenario has been thrown around. There is a potential Gordon Hayward trade. I would love to get rid of his contract, even if Hayward comes back and is a solid 15 point per game scorer. He'll never be worth this money. I've heard that the Cavs have interest, which makes no sense and would just prove, along with Kevin Love's extension last offseason, that the Cavs are trying to rush the rebuild. Um, so, yeah, I think I uh, – what happened to Clint Capella there? I didn't really talk about Clint Capella. I think I just forgot and just put his name in there and just didn't talk. Because, again, remember, this took me an hour. So I made a few gr- grammatical errors, and I forgot Clint Capella. Again, this was hard to do. This took me a while. It's just sitting there like, oh. I did take multiple breaks, like, after, like, 20 minutes. I can't sit that long. I went outside to play basketball. I did some of it in school, just – weren't doing anything, so I just worked on most of that in school, and then I kind of came home, took a little break, because as much as I love talking about this stuff, I can't sit here for an hour and do it. I'm sorry. I just can't. So I just went up outside because I just can't, couldn't do it. But Clint Capella would be an interesting fit. I think overall, like, I just – I could see Brad Stevens just really liking him. But my problem with Clint Capella is his contract's a little big. He's pretty injury-prone, kind of like – um. CP3. He is young. He does fit your timeline, but he's a good rebounder, good defender, but my problem is the offense. He'd be a horrible fit with your offense. You'd have to adjust majorly because you're used to a pick-and-pop big like Al Horford, a guy who can shoot the three, play pick-and-roll. Clint Capella really can't. Clint Capella can catch lobs off the pick-and-roll, but he's not someone that can shoot. You'd have to adjust your offense. I'm not really interested in Mike Conley, CP3, or Clint Capella. If Kyrie walks, which realistically is what's going to happen. Kyrie walks. I want you to draft the point guard, big man, the stuff I talk about in the draft. But free agency and trade-wise, I want you to – Kyrie's going to leave. Okay. Get back Al Horford. Try to get back Terry Rozier. Try to get guys like IT, Dwayne Dedman. I'd rather have Dedman than Baines. I love Baines, but Dedman's better. He's a great fit, and Baines is a little more injury-prone. Dedman's still kind of injury-prone, but, you know, Deadman Baines, that's what we're arguing about. I, I love Aaron Baines, but I don't know. So overall, I, I'd love to get rid of that Gordon Hayward contract, though, but Mike Conley, they've been linked to a few talks there. CP3 and Clint Capella, I don't really want any of them, to be honest. I want to just build young, get a few nice players from the draft. That's what I'm aiming for. So now we are going to get to last night's Red Sox game versus the Texas Rangers, so let's get to that. All right, so last night, another uh, loss, another loss for the Red Sox. They've been great this year. I love the Red Sox this year. They've been fun to watch, you know. 34-33. and The Rangers are 35-30. and The Rangers, the Texas Rangers. They're a joke. The, The Rangers are literally a joke. Okay, I'm sorry. I just wanted to clear that up. It was a nice start to the game. Chris Sale was mowing them down like usual. Betts gets on base. Benintendi hits a two-run shot. Benintendi... Eight games hitting streak. Eight game hitting streak. Ben Intendi's starting to find his groove. Uh, Betts gave you a little production in that leadoff spot. Um, two walks and a hit on three at bat. Technically five, but three because the two walks scored that run on the Ben Intendi hit. Who, besides that hit, did nothing the rest of the night. He did have a good rip to second, but he was all right last night. One for five, had the good rip to second as well. The home run. Can't really complain. But overall, last night, you you had it. You had it. You had it, okay? There were a few calls. Uh, Santana on the other team is awesome. Uh, Danny Santana. But I don't know. You know, he's their uh, number two hitter. And overall this season, he's hitting 306. 
He's a 262 hitter on his career. He's 28 years old. So this has been like a career year for Danny Santana. He's great last night. He was awesome. He was probably their best player. Mike Miner or him. It was him or Mike Miner. He had, went four for five with two doubles, two runs, and an RBI. He was awesome. He scored the winning run. And that was the really only one who could hit Chris Sale last night. Elvis Andres, too. Those are really, you know, those two, those two and three hitters were really the only ones. And then you had the, you know, go-ahead or tying run, go-ahead run for Mazzara, who hit him in number four hitter, Nomar Mazzara. So, Miner, I said, going into the game, Miner and Sale were going to go back and forth, but Sale should have the better outing than Mike Miner, who's a very underrated pitcher. They're going to go back and forth. Chris Sale should be a little better, and you should have probably like a two-run lead. Two, three-run lead, maybe one-run lead. And you have the lead, and you just choked it because the bullpen has been horrible. Now there are other things. Santana had, a, I think it was a single or a double, but he arguably swung at one. I think it was a slider from Chris Sale inside, and Santana kind of got out of the way while swinging. And it was close, but they said he didn't swing, and then he ended up driving in a run. So that was, you know arguable that that one definitely maybe cost you the game and then Brock Holt Brock Holt you know I know he's been hot lately but just just do this with me goes up there like a giddy little kid he's got his glasses on or shades at night but it's probably glasses who knows Brock Holt goes up there he's like the middle school kid playing with the high schoolers you know down at the field you know he's like that he's that little kid that they let play with the older kids and he gets a hit oh he's so excited he was jumping up and down you know, probably just had a, you know, probably just had some ice cream or something. He's got sugar. And he's just so happy because he got a hit. He got a hit with the older kids. And he just feels like he's on top of the world, right? Just feels like he's on top of the world because he got a hit with the big kids. Yay! He got a hit with the big kids. He feels happy. So, you know what? Why not? I'm just going to run home. The base coach, the older kids on the other team. You know, oh, nice hit, kid, but no, 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 stop. So, so stay at third, you know, just listen to me, stay at third. No, 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 he, I, I don't know, there's adrenaline in his veins. He was so excited and happy. He just wanted to score that run and just complete the, the great, the great hit he had. You know, he was so excited. And he want, he just wanted to finish it off. And, you know, just like a giddy little kid, he rounded third. Whoa! And then all of a sudden, reality struck as he got tagged out by a mile at home. Goes through the stop sign. He ran through the red light and crashed into the car. That was what happened with Brock Holt. Third base coach gives him the stop sign. Clear red light. Clear red light. But you're going to crash right into one of those cars. But Brock Holt was drunk. Or, as I say, he was sugar high. He was giddy like a little kid. Goes right ahead. And then, as I said, clearly going to hit a car because the catcher, he's going to be clearly out, clearly going to hit the car, and bang. All of a sudden, he's like, oh. And then reality struck, and he realized he was just a loser, and he's not even that good anymore. Just kidding, Brock Holt. I love you. You've been on fire a little bit lately. You're starting to heat up, but still. That's what I took out of that. Are you kidding me? Are you, like, what was going on there? That's what I seriously felt. He's a giddy little kid. Didn't get a hit for a while, yes, but... He's starting to heat up. He's just excited. So he just runs through. Ugh, I don't. I already explained it. I don't want to talk about it again. And then your bullpen comes in and ruins the whole thing. Workman came in, finished off the eighth for you. Then Barnes comes in. Matt Barnes. Boy, do I love when he closes games. 
I love when I see, I feel that sense of comfort when I see Mike, uh, Matt Barnes go out there with a one-run lead in the ninth inning. I love it. Oh, it's so exciting to see Matt Barnes because he's like Craig Kimbrell. He's like Craig Kimbrell. And since last postseason, we didn't win with the closer. We can do it again this year. Matt Barnes is great. I mean, Matt Barnes, like, this guy, like, you thought Craig Kimbrell was good. See Matt Barnes close a game. Matt Barnes is awesome. Matt Barnes is so good that he blew the game against the Texas Rangers. The Texas Rangers. I mean, that, that's ridiculous. This season, I want to see if he has more blown saves, honestly. Honestly, we're relying on Matt Barnes to get us saves. <laughs> this, 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 he has six career saves, I believe. Yeah, something like that. He had one save in 2016, one save in 2017. Literally didn't have, he had two career saves going into this year. His last save being in 2017. You're our closer now. You're the eighth inning guy, you know, that guy that's just kind of set up. Craig Kimbrell. You, you kind of like his little pedestal. Yeah. The one that hasn't had a save since 2017. The one who had two saves in his career. He's our closer now. Yeah. Wait, what? You literally don't care, do you? The bullpen is one of the most important parts. This is what happens. Chris Sale goes out there. Ben Tendy's hitting home runs. And then all of a sudden, your bullpen comes in, and it looks they're a lost pack of wolves out there. They don't know what they're doing. I honestly just think they don't have a clue. Matt Barnes goes out there. Me, what am I supposed to do with this thing? Lobs it over the plate. Woo! Oh, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. Oh, <laughs> golly. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I, I can't find his blown saves, but I'm sure it's a lot because Matt Barnes is not a closer. Matt Barnes is ne- not a closer. He will never be a closer. He's your eighth inning guy, and you don't have a closer at all. You don't have a closer, and you expect to win the World Series again. Okay? <laughs> this is my problem with this team. Their hitting is inconsistent. Their starting pitching is Chris Sale. That's it. And then they don't have a closer. And the other guys in the bullpen are, you know, you got Brandon Workman has really stepped up. Brandon Workman. Workman. Brandon Workman has been your guy out of the bullpen. Been your best guy, I'd say, out of your bullpen. Brandon Workman. He can't close the game. He's that guy that goes in the seventh inning. Yeah, so he's been your best bullpen guy, but he goes in that most useless inning in the bullpen. Not the ninth inning, not the eighth inning. He's the seventh inning guy. But last night he was the eighth inning guy because Chris Sale, thank God, someone can go seven innings, a good seven innings for this team because no one else can do it. I'm sorry, this bullpen needs improvement. This team needs improvement. The Red Sox suck this year. I'm sorry. Besides Chris Sale, you have no starting pitching. You don't have a closer. Literally, you're throwing Matt Barnes out there who had two career saves before this. Two. And I know you had Craig Kimbrell, but he's an eighth-inning guy. Barnes will never close a game. He never should be closing a game. Four saves on the year. Congrats. I'm surprised he's, you know, four saves. I'm surprised there's not more blown saves than that. I, I don't know how many blown saves he has because I just couldn't find it on there, but so be it. It's got probably a lot. That just adds on to the multitude he probably has already. But relying on Matt Barnes for saves, this is what we're doing now, and we expect to make the playoffs. And also, yes, David Ortiz, again, thoughts and prayers up to him and his family. Hopefully he's okay, but that's a bad excuse. I don't want to hear, oh, David Ortiz, he's in our feelings last night. No. David Ortiz is actually a horrible excuse because you should have gone out there and played for him and won the game for him. 
Instead of saying, well, David Ortiz, you know, we were a little sad. But there's obviously you were sad. We were all sad to hear that. David Ortiz saved lives. He was, he's a hero in Boston. I love David Ortiz. Who does not like David Ortiz? Even if you're not a Red Sox fan, you like David Ortiz. Okay? You just don't. Even if he's, you know, hit multiple bombs against your team and robs you of some World Series, you like David Ortiz. He's a great guy, great sense of humor, was a great player. Saved lives from the Boston Marathon. But that's a horrible excuse. Go out there and win the game for him instead of using him as an excuse on why you lost. And I didn't hear them do that, thank God. But I've heard a few people say, well, David Ortiz. No, I don't want to hear that. And the Rangers are a joke. I don't care that they're 35 and 30. They're a joke. Okay, they're a joke. They're an absolute joke. I don't care for the, about the Rangers. They shouldn't even be better than you. The Rangers have a better record than you at any point in the year besides maybe after the first game there's a problem. So that's all I have for today. Um, pretty long episode today, like 45 minutes. Wow. But, yeah, I, I think that's 45 minutes. I'm going to go back and check, make sure I didn't put it, two segments in there multiple times. But this seemed, didn't feel like 45 minutes. But, hey, I give you guys some good uh, good content. So, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Uh, go call in on the Anchor mobile app, again, after the sports talk. Uh, and then send in a voice message. Also, go follow my Instagram uh, at after those after the buzzer sports talk, all lowercase no spaces. Again, that's at after the buzzer sports talk, all lowercase no spaces. And go check out the weekly assist. It's a website. I write on that website some NBA content. It's all NBA, and you can hear from me, uh, Thomas Stapleton from the Tip Off, and many other people. Uh, some good NBA content there. Some quality articles. So yeah, thank you guys for listening, and I hope to see you next time. Thank you.